Welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I really appreciate that you tune in to listen. A few weeks ago, I was headed to southern Minnesota to go rock climbing and camping with my son. To be honest, I wasn't super excited about spending the weekend outdoors because the forecast stunk. Highs in the 40s, lows in the mid-20s, windy, cloudy, and maybe even rain. In fact, when I was on my way up, I drove through a freaking whiteout, sideways snow. I was busy having a pity party for myself and feeling all sorry for myself. When, at a gas stop, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw a picture of a couple of friends who were prepping for the 340-mile Iowa Wind & Rock gravel race that very weekend. I suddenly felt much better about my life. While the weekend was cold and windy, I actually had a great time camping and climbing with my kid, and I was pretty much offline. So when I got home, I asked my wife Dee if anyone had even finished Wind & Rock. She wasn't sure, so I took to the interwebs to find out, and I stumbled across a post by Corey Rude, who found himself in the lead coming across the finish line ahead of the 12 other official finishers. As it would turn out, he and I were going to be at the same place at the same time the following weekend in El Cater at the Driftless 100. So we decided to meet up for coffee at this nice cafe equipment store called Gear in downtown El Cater, and we had a great chat. So grab yourself a cup of chain and spoke coffee, the gravel grind roast would be the appropriate one right now, and enjoy this bike talk with Corey Rood. Uh, Corey Rude, welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. It's an honor to have you here. And, Thank you. And meet face to face. This yeah. is a great opportunity. I think we've crossed paths a couple of times. I saw you at Serum. I know we've twice, crossed but... paths, but uh, never had the opportunity to sit down and chat. So I'm excited to do that. Awesome. Uh, we're going to be talking about your uh, Iowa Wind and Rock. Uh, can I spoil alert and say victory? Yeah, sure. It's probably out there in the World yeah. Wide Web. Yep. Uh, but yeah, he freaking won the thing. And uh, I want to, I don't know if I want to dissect that, but dive into that a bit. Uh, but I also want to talk about, we're in El Cater, Iowa, day after the Driftless 100, which was a week after Wind and Rock, and you did not ride yesterday. No, I did not. Uh, but it was great to see you out here. You were loading up your van yesterday morning before the 100K took off and out there supporting riders. Um, why'd you do that? Events, any event doesn't happen without people stepping up and helping out. I mean, race director, organizer can only do so much. And I've been the beneficiary at events before and the volunteers can make or break the race or just the ride. So it's just nice to give back. I was happy to do it. It, Yeah. Well, it's you and people like you that make events happen. I feel like if everybody who participated in all this stuff, and it's whether you're a runner, triathlete, any sport, you know, take the cleats off and put your shoes on and serve water or marshal a corner or help with parking or whatever exactly at one event a year and that makes every race director's life easier so uh, so this is a week after wind and rock uh, yep. in which you were victorious 
uh, I want to find out who you are and how you got to the point where you were victorious at Iowa Wind and Rock. Uh, how'd you get started biking? You're uh, from up here, northeast Iowa. Yep. And, and I also want to say before we go on, we're sitting in a little place in El Cater that people have to stop at called uh, Gear. Just Gear. Yep. It's not the Gear. It's no, nope, it's just Gear. All capital letters, G-E-A-R. And they've got fishing gear, kayaks, some bike stuff, snowshoes, um, all kinds of camping stuff, thermos, mattresses, uh, and a cafe. Like I had a great Belgian waffle with eggs and ham on it this morning, and we're enjoying a delicious cup of coffee. Yeah. So it's a cute little place. Like I like this little town of El Cater. Yep. Um, I think uh, I think it's definitely got potential. Yeah. As a Cute little yep. touristy, whitewater, fishing, gravel yeah. community. Yeah, I mean, if you want, if you want to do outdoor stuff, Alcator's awesome. Play, yeah. Great place to to uh, camp or uh, headquarter yourself. Yeah, for you know, come up for a long weekend. You know, you can go kayak, canoe, fish, bike, hike. There's, if you're an outdoors person, there's not a lack of things to do around here. Yeah, for sure. You could go for a uh, long gravel ride on Saturday, break your legs off, yep. and then sit in a canoe all day Sunday. Yep. And fish. Yep. It'd be a perfect or, or if the weather's actually. Or if the weather's right, what they really like to do around here is uh, tube. Oh, you get an cool. inner tube, and then you stick a cooler in one of the inner tubes. Oh, there you are. And you just spend all day floating down the river. Get some of uh, Deb's Brutorium yep. brews and throw them in the cooler exactly that's awesome all right so uh you're from near here yep. Pio you say it piasta piasta thank you uh from piasta um do you always ride a bike uh no uh 2010 i mean the, the middle school age you know you, everybody's got a bike then because that's your mode of transportation but then i'm an on what is it an adult onset cyclist Oh, I've never heard that. I like it. So, started, I think 2010 was the first bike as an adult that I bought. Mm, why, why? Why'd you buy a bike? Uh, so, uh, 2008, I decided I needed to lose some weight, started running. And I'm like, looking for other ways to be active, and cycling sounded like fun. So, mm -hmm. bought a bike. Hmm, cool. Um, we must have liked it. Yeah. I mean, that started out, you know, 10 miles was a long ride back then. Yep. And it, it's funny to look back at it now. And it's like, I, 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 if I'm looking at a 10-mile ride, it's like, do I even want to get dressed to do this? <laughs> right. 10-mile ride is to Deb's Brutorium. Yeah. Um, do you remember your first race? Uh, oh, boy. First race was probably Spotted Horse 2018. Oh, wow. Up until then, it was just recreational riding. Dude, that's like diving in with both feet. Yeah. Spotted horse is not an easy ride. No, and that was not an easy year. Was it 2018 was wet? It was 40 and, and rain. Yeah. Ugh. It was a 150. I didn't do the 200. <laughs> Your first race was 150 miles. Yeah. Uh, why? why how, like, how'd you come up with that? Uh, why'd you think that was a good idea? Well, a good friend of mine, Mark Stender, mm dragged me into it so 2018 was the first year that i bought a gravel bike mm -hmm. and it was a salsa cutthroat that year and he talked me into it i'm like apparently i'm just a sucker for bad ideas so i get and he, pain, he'd I gone guess. and done that race a couple of years prior and wow so um so you must have dug it 
Yeah. Um, do you keep coming back to that, or did you start finding other gravel races? Uh, then I started. I mean, I, I've, I, I don't think I've missed a spotted horse since, except for like the 2020 year that got a little goofy. I mean, I was there, but I wasn't on the spotted horse course. That was my first year trying Wind and Rock, and because mm. they had to move it around. And yeah. Yep. Yep. And I really wanted to get a 200 mile finish and that went away and it was the only option was 150 or wind and rock so i'm like well the only way i'm going to get the 200 miles is to sign up for wind and rock so that's commitment man dnf'd at 200 200 oh well i mean you hit the 200 yep. that's pretty cool that, and i mean going in that was my goal I, I wasn't thinking about a finish at that point i was i just want to get 200 miles in what is it about those long distances that you like oh boy um the when you hit the point of like you know what this is this should be done by now and you just find that extra motivation somehow to keep moving and just exploring that part of human psychology i i made this comment to a friend i don't know a couple of years ago at at serum and I said, maybe serum's a bad example because you want that to be done the minute you leave the parking lot. But um, except for this year, which was phenomenal. But when it's 14 degrees, you're, you're ready to be done when you leave the parking lot. But anyway, I said, like, you look so forward to these events for so long and you train for them and, you, you know, you get the food prep the week before and you get your clothes all ready and you get your travel arrangements all ready. Like it's a big deal. Yep. And, uh, and then you get out there and you're like, I can't wait for this to be done. <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. I still have uh, hack long yep. from yesterday. Um, how do you turn that off? Because I was, I, I did the 100K yesterday and I was never like on death row, but I definitely was tired and my legs were, I was like coming up to that line where if I cross it, like I'm gonna, my legs are just gonna cramp and, you know, cause me severe pain. Um, and so you worry about that for 30 miles, like, oh, I don't wanna, uh, you know, yep. I hope I can make it over that next hill. Yep. Oh, I hope there's not another hill. Um, so that was a long time for me to be thinking about the finish line. How do you turn that off? Because you, you must, or is it you just extend that for so long and accept the reality of I'm out here for X number of hours? The nice thing about Wind and Rock is, is it's cue sheet navigated. So you just, my next cue is at mile 38.3. So I'm just, I'm riding to get to 38.3, then we can go on to the next cue. So, I mean, you're never setting there it took, it took until 280 miles before I put total distance on my computer screen. Oh, huh. At that point, it was just queue, get to the next queue, get to the next queue, and you just compartmentalize corner to corner. it. Yep. Huh. I, I can see that, relate to that. Isn't that. I mean, that's the one thing I found about queue sheet navigated races is it, it really helps compartmentalize. Like ever, and I get it, it's intimidating. It was intimidating to me the first time I did a cue sheet navigated race and I've had people tell me like, I don't want to do that. I want a GPS file to follow. And it's like, when you're talking 340 miles and riding through the night, it really helps keep you engaged in the race. Yeah. Paying attention to what's going on. So 
it, it, it's more work for sure, and it, it's easier to make a mistake, but no doubt it, it does help keep you keep everything. You definitely have to be sharp because if you go by 247th Street, and that's where you're supposed to mm -hmm. turn, and you get to 240th Street, that's a long way yep. before you realize. Well, that's, that, that happened to me. I, I turned left off the pavement and it was the next queue was immediate left on the 170th and I saw the road sign for 170th and I took a right oh and I went two miles oh. down that road and it was a B road and it was the only B road the entire race that was muddy oh. and I got to the end and the next queue and the the queues just lined up I got to the end and I was at the distance I was supposed to be at and it said turn left on orange and the road sign says 190th, and I'm like, this isn't orange. Mm. So then I spent five seconds trying to figure out what I had done wrong, and then I'm like, well, how am I getting back to the course? I really don't want to go through this muddy B road, but it's probably faster than looping back around to get to where I left the course. Right. So turned around, went back, and I had four miles more. Extra. Yeah, lucky you. Yeah, I guess. Savor the, savor the miles. Yep. Extra time on the bike. Yep. Uh, was that this year? Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this year. Uh, first of all, how would you describe the wind and rock race? Um, it's a little different rule setup than, say, the Driftless, where there were arrows out on the road, yep. um, GPX files that we could download, yep. and there's a gun and go and aid stations out there and everything, which is what I would call a typical gravel race. Yep. Wind and Rock is not that. Wind and Rock is definitely not that. Wind and Rock, you get cue sheets 30 minutes before start at 4 a.m. Almost an adventure race. Almost. Uh, yeah. Um, you get cue sheets to checkpoint one. If you can make it to checkpoint one before the cutoff, which is based off a 10 mile an hour average. So this year it was like 73 some odd miles. So seven and a quarter, seven and a third hours, you make it there in that time, you'll get the cue sheets to checkpoint two, and so on and so forth. There's two checkpoints, so checkpoint one, checkpoint two, and then the finish. So if you make it to checkpoint two in time, you've got the cue sheets to the finish. Uh, the only thing you get at checkpoints are the cue sheets. You know, that cue sheet um, model mm -hmm. is soul-destroying. I, I come from the Trans-Iowa era, which this is modeled after. Yep. It's not Trans-Iowa, but when Trans-Iowa went of, away. A lot of direction from. For sure, for sure. Um, uh, and that was before my time. I've, I, I never had the opportunity to do Trans-Iowa. Let's not call it the opportunity. Let's. <laughs> um, I did like two, four, six or something. And one time I made it to checkpoint one, got the cue sheet for checkpoint two. And the interesting thing about that, like, I still don't know what town I was in to get checkpoint one. And yep. I, that we had the 10 mile an hour requirement and it was windy in my face, which I think you can talk a bit about from this yeah. year. But I was not doing 10 miles an hour average. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to get to the checkpoint, which closes at midnight at 2 a.m. There's not going to be, it's, 
a spot on the road. It's yep. not a town. Yep. I don't know where I am because I'm following a cue sheet. I don't know if I'm going north or south or east or west because it's cloudy all day. And I, what, what do I do? I'm in the middle of nowhere. Well, and, and back then, 246, I mean, that was probably pushing the limits of, like, right now I could text my wife with my phone, send oh, a pin, and right, she would know exactly right. where I am to come and pick me up. No, I... That was I, probably a little bit ahead of the technology for that time. I did have, in, in Trans-Iowa 2, which was the rainy year, uh, four inches of rain, like it was a monsoon. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. Literally, the ditches were full of oh, water. My. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> I, I had a Blackberry. One of the old school blackberries, and I, every now and again, I'd come over a hill, and it would go ding, which meant I had reception, and something came through. And uh, oftentimes it didn't, like I just didn't have reception. And I developed IT band syndrome, and I literally couldn't pedal with my left leg. And I'm sitting on the edge of a B road. The B road is a lake. There's literally a duck swimming down <laughs> 100 yards away from me on the road. Nice. And the ditch is a flowing stream, tall green grass just kind of waving in the yep. water. My feet are, I'm sitting on the edge, my feet are in the water, stream rolling by, and I get a ding, and it said, help is on its way. And I started crying. <laughs> I didn't know where I was. Right. I, there, was no, there was no help. That was my trans-Iowa my version one. I went back two times, got rained out once and winded out again. But my whole point was like, you don't know where you are right. when you're following those cue sheets. Right. You didn't have the chance to like map it out the night before no. or anything. And that's a weird kind of character of that race yep. for sure. Uh, luckily enough, I've spent enough time in that part of the state. So you get the first cues. I can, I can poke through the cues. I got a rough idea what direction we're going for the first 50 miles. Mm-hmm. But after that, it's... I have no, no idea. I have no clue. Yeah, it's that's a kind of a crazy, crazy thing. So, you you uh, made it through seventy three. You said Some, first checkpoint one. Yep. Yep. Uh, it was not a kind day. No. Tell me about the weather. Um, so it was uh, mid low thirties at start four a.m. Uh, the wind at that point wasn't super terrible. I mean, like it does in Iowa, the wind picks up during the daylight hours, dies off overnight. So it wasn't super terrible at four a.m. And then, you know, you got pre-race jitters and all the nerves and the adrenaline, so it, you don't notice it as much in the start. Uh, that turned into the wind started to crank up. There was one section, probably about 50 miles in, we got stuck in this extreme sleet storm. Oh, boy. To the point that the road was completely white. Like, it was, like, the road was gone. It was just a white surface we were riding on. And I'm like, if this keeps up for much longer, I brought the wrong tires. Is there an entry fee for this? No. Nope. No, no. So at least you didn't pay for this. I did not pay for this experience. <laughs> Good. Good. Oh, man. Who, who were you with at that point? Uh, are you I, in the front? Yes. At, at that point, was in the front. There was probably about 10 of us. I don't know if I could name all 10 of us. No, you um, don't have to, but there was a good group yep, of you. Yep. Misery loves company. Yep. It's, it's a, yeah, and that makes it more tolerable when you got people to share the misery with. So. Right. But yeah, there was about 10 of us at that point, I believe. So. Joy-filled miles. Yep. And actually, that's interesting because uh, 
was this year a record number of finishers? Yes. At 13? Yeah. Lucky 13? Yep. So those 10 must have, most if not all of them, made it. Uh, that I don't know yeah. of those 10 who finished. Um, but yeah. Well, I know a lot of people made it to uh, uh, mile 122. Is that where checkpoint two was? No, that was just a random Casey's oh, okay. in Essex. Okay. Which I don't, I still don't even know where that's at. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. That whole cue sheet thing is yeah, weird because in, of that. I'm in the gas station. It's, it's a nice newer Casey's and I'm getting my stuff and somebody's, one of the locals is there in line and I'm like, where am I? What town is this? And he's like, you're in Essex. I'm like, oh, okay. That doesn't do Are me any good. Are we in Iowa? Is, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> huh, crazy. Uh, but no, that wasn't, that was between checkpoint one and checkpoint two, just random Casey's. Yeah, cool. Um, um so you guys make it through the sleet? Yep. How much rain did you have during the day? Um, I don't think we ever really had any rain. We just had that sleet and snow. Okay. And then after, there was nothing after checkpoint one that happened in that regard for precipitation, so. Dig it. So you go through, where's checkpoint two? How far? Uh, 155. One town of Tabor, Tabor. Okay. Don't know where that is. Way, way western Iowa. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, it went through Los Hills. Yep. Hilly? Yeah. Yep. Like driftless kind of hills? Uh, no, not not quite that. Like it's not River Valley Hills, it's monster rollers. Yeah. Um, but enough to hurt. Giant, ancient, uh, interesting. It's, well, it's the drift region. It's not the driftless yep. region. It's the drift, like those are, sand drifts yep. from glacial days, yep. I guess. The, the, I think the biggest difference between like driftless and out there is, is there's no timber to hide in. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of forest road, like f roads going through the timber uh, in Northeast Iowa that yeah. help shelter you Big from time. the wind. Big time. And there was, there was none of that out there. And it was windy yeah. all day. Yep, I wanna say 15 to 25 mile an hour forecast out of the Northwest probably gusting to 3540. And you were heading southwest? Uh, so checkpoint one was almost due southwest of Winterset where mm -hmm. we started. Um, checkpoint one to checkpoint two was almost due west. So you're fighting the wind yeah. for 155 miles yep. for sure. Quartering. Quartering, yeah, so, which is no I mean, fun. It, no, because that, that makes handling hard. Yep. Whereas if it would have been a, just a block headwind, Okay, it just sucks. Right. But at least right. you're not being blown all over the road. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and what were the wind speeds? Do you know? Like, I want to say gusts were 35, 40. Oh. Sustained, I don't know how you finished. Sustained winds are, was 15 to 25 at the peak. I mean, it ramps up and then ramp back down. But there was a couple hours there. I would say between noon and three. That was probably the worst of it. I saw a couple of posts of people dropping out in Essex at the mm -hmm. Casey's mile 122. Yep. And I was like, I don't see how anybody could finish. Yeah. And then, I don't know, two days later, I see your post like, oh, this is my, this is, this is how I won. I'm like, seriously, you finished? Mm -hmm. Like, how did you do that? Um, how did you do that? I don't know how you made it to checkpoint two on time at 10 miles an hour. Uh, well, a lot of that had to help with, you know, having that group to checkpoint one. I mean, we rolled into checkpoint one, I think averaging over 15 mile an hour. Oh, great. You had money in the bank then. So, I mean, that helped a lot. Uh, I want to say I went back and looked at my average speed from checkpoint one to checkpoint two. And I mean, it was, it was above the cutoff. It was like 11, hmm. but it was still 
wasn't gaining a whole lot of ground at that point. It was just kind of treading water. Yeah. Hoping we'd turn around and go east at some point in time. Which you must have at 155. Yeah, uh, 155 we hit Tabor. Kind of started working our way north a little bit. Hit the famous Los Hills B Road, Rally Road, I think it is. Oh, where the it's, cut? Yeah, it's the canyon through yeah. the hill. And then we started heading north and then eventually worked our way east. But the weather being in Iowa, what it does is, you know, that was four, five o'clock in the afternoon. Well, there went, the winds went from 15 to 25 to five to 10. Was not the push home you were hoping no. for. Oh, that's no. too bad. Um, so talk me through, you had a long post kind of describing um, your final stretch, I guess. Take me through that. Uh, so after my Q, Miss Q, at around mile two, 60. Oh, that was deep into the race? Yeah, that was at mile 260. Joy. And I was, I, at that point, I was like, okay, 20 miles to the 24-hour Casey's, wherever that would be. Ended up being Creston, but I had no clue what town we were anywhere close to. Um, and it just, I just needed that. Sea the Casey's? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wasn't running out of stuff. It's just I needed that mental break of being off the bike for five seconds. And yeah. It's kind of like the, you were talking earlier, the, the, and this, by the way, is the world's longest espresso machine, I think. <laughs> um, but uh, we are in a coffee shop, so that's fair. Yep. Fair noise. Um, those corners you, you look so forward to. If there's a sea store, do you know it? Yep. And they're generally... In Trans-Iowa days, C-Store would be marked on the Q sheet. No. It wasn't. So how'd you know it was there? Uh, so we get, riders got an email week ahead of time mm -hmm. telling us distance to checkpoint one, checkpoint two, and that there was a 24-hour C-Store at mile 280. Oh, great. So you knew that. That's awesome. And we were told that it was never more than about 100 miles between C-Stores. Take it. So gotta be ready to go 100 miles. Right. If you're rolling right. past the C store and you're not gonna stop, do you got enough to go another 100 miles from where you're at? For sure. So. For sure. So you were looking forward to that C store yeah. big time. Yep, knowing that that one specifically was at mile 280. Otherwise, you didn't have any clue. I mean, just because the checkpoint's there doesn't mean there's a C store there. Oh, like I said, the one at, the second one the year I winded out was uh, in the middle of nowhere. Yep. It was just shoulder of yep. the road. Usually they're at a park of some sort, but doesn't have I mean, to be. Twenty-one when I finished, we went. First checkpoint was at at uh, White Rock. Mm, yeah. Which, if Ain't you're not familiar, there. there's there's nothing there. Right. There was a water fountain, and that year we had drop bags. So I mean, but still, I mean, if you would have went to White Rock or some a similar county park or state park out in the middle of nowhere, you know, you might have to ride another ten miles to get to town. Right. Right. So which at White Rock you would have to do. Yeah. So regroup at uh, Casey's? Yeah, rolled in there after my miscue. I thought my race was not over. I mean, I still was riding and I was gonna get there. I was ahead of the cutoff and it didn't cost me that much time, but I figured my chance at a podium was gone at that point. I'm like, there's at least three people behind me that probably passed me after my miscue. Rolled in there, there's Mark Scarpel and Jonathan Fay sitting on the floor and I'm like, so did these other guys come through and leave? Because they looked pretty shelled, like they had been there for a little while. And I'm like, no, we're it. Oh. So I'm like, well, I'll be damned. 
And they're like, well, how do you feel? And I'm like, I'm ready to get my stuff and get out of here. I just got re-energized. Exactly. Thank you I'm very just, much. I'm ready to rip now. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Like, I, I mean, I went the whole race and I felt, I mean, as good as you can feel at 300 and some odd miles, you're not going to feel like you're going out for the first ride of the day, but I felt pretty dang good. Yeah. I was ready to ride, so. Uh, loaded up, rolled out with them. Jonathan had some sort of mechanical, probably 10 miles outside of town. I don't know if it's a tire or a chain issue or something. And Mark rode with me for probably another 10 miles or so. And next thing I know, there's nobody behind me anymore. They dropped him like a brick off a bridge? I guess. <laughs> nice. Do you remember the moment? Um, so I want to say it was like 25, 30 miles out from the finish. Sarah had pulled up. It was like Six in the morning, sun was just starting to come up, maybe a little bit before six. And she was sitting at a corner, the race director. Mm -hmm. And Mark's a smaller person than me, so he does better on the climbs, and I do better on the descents, because I'm a bigger person. You're probably a great wheel to sit on. Yeah. For sure. So I saw Sarah, and that gave me a little bit of motivation, and I turned it up a couple of notches at that point, went around the corner, dropped into my arrow bars and hammered it down the hill a little bit. Mark didn't match it, so. There you go, hammer yep. dropped. Yep, I, I don't know if I'd call it a hammer, but. <laughs> a 300 mile hammer. Yeah. That's awesome. What's it like coming across that finish line? Oh, you wouldn't think that you'd have the energy to muscle up the hill to the winery. I don't you've been out to the winery there. Yeah, I know where you're talking. So yeah. there's a, the, the driveway's a uphill yeah. finish and they can't put the finish down at the road. It's up the hill. Yep. But man, the energy that I had at that point when I could see Sarah and Steve and Dory and my wife and some other friends at the finish line, it was, it was through the roof. It was, it was emotional. Was it? Yeah. That's cool. To be the first person, like, it's it's one thing to finish a 340-mile race within, you know, that 10-mile-an-hour cutoff, which 10-mile-an-hour sounds really easy. It is not. It, it, to maintain it, including all your stops for 340 yep. miles, it's it's hard. Yeah, those guys sitting on the floor of Casey's were burning miles per hour. Yeah. Yep. Like Zero, zero's, zero's tank your average really Zero's fast. kill your average, for sure. Yeah, it's, it, it, that is hard. That's, that's one of the things about that race that is, you know, Trans-Iowa was that way too. And it was, uh, Guitar Ted always talked about like, oh, this is a race where I want everyone to, you know, be able to do it and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, not everybody, like you, and I'm going to use this word in your presence, but it's like, it's an elite level competition. You've got to be at riding in an elite level to make those checkpoints and make those cutoffs and to get that final cue sheet. Once you have the final cue sheet, take it home yep. like who cares how fast you go right i don't care if i make the official finish right. 36 hours maybe 34 34 hours yep. 10 miles an hour yep yep um uh at that point if i got q sheet two i wouldn't care right i would it, just be like i made the distance and i'm a winner yep. in my own little thing exactly. and i put a trophy on my mantle yep but um uh it's uh, you've got to ride at an elite level to get to that 10 mile an hour it is hard yes it is it is very hard and that the gravel, the hills, the B roads. Talk about the B roads. You guys didn't have we got much lucky. of a B road experience. Well, we had there we had B roads. There but was you did there not have six the... miles of B roads, but they were all rideable. Yeah, that's awesome. So I mean that that makes a huge difference. All the difference. I mean, you got you got a mile of B road. If you can ride it, you're talking four minutes. 
if you got to lock it, you're talking 20 to 30. Yep. And then cleaning your shoes. If you're smart enough and you get off your bike and you don't have to clean your bike, but you still got to clean your shoes off. Yep. So, I mean, you're talking 30 minutes for a mile versus four. Correct. So. Great big deal. It's it's just one step shy better than sitting. Yeah. (laughs) I hate to keep going back on this, but it's your dredging up memories that my first Trans-Iowa, I literally walked 23 miles through. Should have went three more miles and got a marathon. I couldn't. <laughs> I literally couldn't. Uh, the second time I cried was, um, I don't know when it said rescue ship on the way. Uh, well, they didn't come because I called it off. Um, but it, And I'm four hours from home mm-hmm. and didn't have a backup plan. <laughs> other than call for rescue yep. ship and wait. But uh, I'm in some little town in the convenience store waiting. Like, I'm begging for a ride back to yep. Algona where I could um, catch a ride home. And uh, nobody had room. Nobody had, like, and then the dude I rode up with, his girlfriend was along, and they happened to be driving down the high. He had dropped out 30 miles before. Okay. And they happen to be driving down the highway and see me. Like, I'm standing outside the sea store. And so they do a UE and pull in. And, like, I was rescued. And that was my ride all the way home. And I, I cried because <laughs> I was in such bad shape. But, yeah, that's those B roads, if it's wet at all, yep. they just turn into muddy mess. Yep. And it, it's a really mean mud. Yes. It's not like northern Wisconsin mud where it just spatters on you but you have a hard start it's not like colorado mud it's not like any mud it's sticky it's peanut butter it, it's good mud for growing corn yep <laughs> you know, i'm not racing hopefully it's just or, mud <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly well that's awesome what uh what do you take home from that what so going back to where I started cycling at to now, it just, it, it's hard to comprehend that I've gotten to that point where I can go out and I can do a 340 mile race and win it. So it, it, it was a, not a hard pill to swallow. It was just shocking. Like it's hard to get that belief in yourself until you've done it. And it's, that's probably been the biggest thing I've taken away from it is not I'm not who I was 10, 15 years ago. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's a great journey. Uh, were you ever athletic, high school, anything? Were you? No. No? No. Wow. I think I played football freshman year, and I'm like, that was, I, I was the lazy teenage kid, so I'm like, uh, that was more work than I wanted to do. <laughs> Dude, I think you were just keeping energy in the bank. Yeah, maybe. For today, <laughs> for sure. Uh, what's up next uh, with this newfound confidence? So the next big thing uh, is going to be Silver State 508. So that is a paved road ultra from Reno, Nevada on US 50, which is considered, they call it the loneliest road in America, Awesome. to Eureka, Nevada, and then turn around and go back 508 miles. What do you do? What's your head game like well, in these things? Going into it, I'm, I'm the spreadsheet nerd. I've got weights of all the gear that's going on the bike and what I'm taking and how many calories per hour I need to consume. So I, I fill my time and that helps 
compartmentalized leading up to the race. You know, I get to nitpick over setup and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, but then once it's once in the race, nice thing about Wind and Rock is I, I I was feeling fit, so I knew where I needed to be, and I just wasn't gonna let the front wheels ride away. So chasing them, mm -hmm. let them do the work. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't. As selfish as it might sound, I didn't do a whole lot of work on the front the first 60 some odd miles so i mean bike racing is fitness nascar and strategy yep so that's strategy and nascar probably right not there making, probably not making a whole lot of friends at yeah. that point but I, i've done this is my third attempt at wind and rock now and i've been there enough that i know that there's people that show up that just go out as hard as they can right off the front i'm like i'm not gonna I, I will set on your wheel if I deem it necessary, but I'm not going to get in front of you and because that's just that's not necessary. Yeah, no, you I got to do I, this for 30 hours. <laughs> right, right, not three. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So on the world's loneliest road, what's your head game? How how do you anticipate? Well, so that one mentally getting through that. That one's crude. Oh, so, so you've got people. I got that, I got a crew. Okay, that's nice. So. Uh, during during sunset to sunrise, it's direct follow. So support vehicle be right behind me with a radio. They'll be able to talk to me the whole time, keep me motivated, hopefully. So do you like doing this paved stuff as well? Yeah, we'll find out. This will be the first fully paved hmm. ultra I've done. Um, do you have visions beyond that? I don't know. I have to ask. You know that, I mean, I, I? I like the I like the I like the appeal of it. Um, the supported aspect's tough. I mean, it's so Silver State requires three crew. I mean, finding three people that want to give up a long weekend to follow me around and. It's reno. not super exciting to be crew, I'm sure. I mean, it is and it isn't. Right. But it, just, it takes a special kind of person to find it exciting. So. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So that's good I, I have that. a hard time. I don't know if I'll do a whole lot of supported stuff, mm -hmm. but maybe one every now and then. But yeah. Did tour of Central Iowa last year and joked around a little bit since that was a Ram qualifier. Right. Um, but I didn't have the greatest of race there either. But that was that was motivation for this year. That definitely helped having a bad, not bad, less than optimal experience there. Um, but that was motivation for this year, and uh, now we'll see how Silver State goes. That had a somewhat of a paved component to it but not fully paved right so right little combo ride yep so let me ask you a little bit about bike what what was your steed at wind and rock uh it was a salsa warbird and what, 2019 and what were your tires how wide were they and what was the pressure uh <laughs> so they were renee harris snoqualmie pass tires which is a 700 by 44 slick hmm. um somewhere in the range of 35 36 psi mm, dig it bike was when i bike was probably about 32 33 pounds you would know because you weigh all your yes. equipment and then i had my hydration pack on which was another eight six eight pounds oh wow you measure, count everything yeah. what do you weigh uh, I one, don't wanna... 180 <laughs> 180 180 175 180 depending on the beginning of the race or the end of the race? Yeah, or how far <laughs> after the race. I mean, the two days after Wind and Rock, I was probably like 186, just from all the water retention. Oh, sure. Yep. But 
that goes away pretty quick. Yeah. Awesome. Well, congratulations on your wind and rock. Thank that's you. that's an incredible, I would say, uh, chapter. Incredible chapter in the book you're writing on your bike, which is pretty cool. And I'm excited to kind of continue reading your book as you write it throughout uh, the next however long you keep it rolling. Yeah, I, I, I like to do those when I do these bigger events, go back and do a race recap that's long format like that. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not I'm not doing it to brag or anything. It's just that way I can go back and read it. Like I went back before Wind and Rock and I read mine from 21 and 2020 to remind myself of things that I might have learned then that I had forgotten in the past. And so it, it's fun to do that. Mm. And people seem to enjoy reading them. So. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's good sitting around fodder. Yep, exactly. <laughs> if you will. Yep. Uh, well, thanks tons, and thanks for your help yesterday Happy at uh, Dripless, and uh, good luck at the world's loneliest 508. Yep, Silver State 508. Silver State 508. Good luck at that. Thank Have you. fun. Peace, brother. Thank you. I really enjoyed this bike talk with Corey. Hopefully you enjoyed getting to know him as well. If you do enjoy these conversations, I'd welcome you to rate and review this on your favorite pod service. And please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. And if you really dig it and would like to support the show financially, look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you do, I'd love to send you a Bike Talk with Dave sticker. I'd also like to thank Chain and Spoke Coffee for supporting the show. You can order the beans for home brewing right now at chainandspoke.com. And by all means, if you're traveling through Des Moines, stop by the shop at 28th and Ingersoll. It's a real treat. Thanks also to BikeIowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. BikeIowa.com has one of the most extensive bike event calendars around. And if you're wanting to promote your event, it's simple and free. Just create an account and enter your information and you can always have access to edit and keep your information current and up to date. One of the events on the calendar that you're gonna to wanna to put on your calendar is the Core 4, where no surface is left untouched. Check it out. When the folks at Core 4 say, no surface untouched, they mean it. Champagne gravel, pavement, speedy single track, and all the level B roads. Core 4 doesn't stop at four surface types. They've got an ethos to get all bodies on bikes, and it comes through initiatives which support socioeconomic justice, gender equality, and bike advocacy. It's all about community, opportunity, recreation, and engagement at Core 4. Go early, bring the fam, they've got everything. Bikes, bevs, packet pickup party at Big Grove, live music, free camping, and finish line fun for all. Do not miss the No Surface Untouched action in Iowa City on Saturday, August 19th. 150 and 25 mile options. Follow along on Instagram at Core4Bike and get in the lineup. Fun fact Core 4 is a week before Garmin Gravel Worlds. D and I are going to be giving that one a go on our tandem. Well, we're, we're sticking a toe in anyway this year with the 75-miler. Maybe we'll tackle the 150 next year. But we're stoked to head to Lincoln in August for the Garmin Gravel Worlds. I've got some great interviews coming up for y'all. 
We're catching up with Andrew Onerma and Brennan Pack, who are teaming up to create a cool new event, the Ozark Randonnée. I'm also stoked to talk with Corey Cornbread Godfrey. He's an 11-time Trans-Iowa veteran and founder of the Garmin Gravel Worlds. And who knows what Bike Talk shorts will pop up. Thanks tons for tuning in, and I hope you have a great week riding bikes.